Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey there, Dr. Robin. Hey, Pastor. How are you? I am good. I am good. Um, It is a beautiful week, and I hope everyone enjoyed our surprise episode this week. That was exciting. Surprise. Surprise. (laughs) Surprise no one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So So if people haven't listened to the episode, tell tell them really quickly what the surprise episode was about. So the surprise episode was on National Coming Out Day, which was Sunday, October the 11th. We're, we're recording today on October 12th, Monday. And I came out as living on the autism spectrum. And I really felt like I wanted to advocate for neurodiversity and neuroatypicalness. And um, so I decided to share my story. And you were generous enough to let me use this platform to do that. Well, it's our platform, and I'm happy to do that. But also, I'm I'm really heartened by all of the positive feedback that you've received. I love that the people that you've um, that you've that have reached out to you have been so loving and caring and affirming for you in this in this announcement. And I just that's a that's a tribute to you all, our listeners. Um, you're the best, and I don't say that. Lightly, you really are, and we couldn't do this without you. Yeah. Well, you know, we really try to use this platform to not only get our hands dirty, which we talk a lot about, but to really build more empathy in the world and to build more kindness. And I think when we, when I decided to be transparent about my, how my brain works, and I'm really not a rude person, um, but I just, don't function the same as everyone else that I hope that it builds more empathy for people and that we can begin to steward the kind of democracy that we really want to see. Yes. That's perfect. Which there's a lot of fucking work to do to steward a new democracy. I'm going to tell you what, friend, there is this, every time I think that I can't get more overwhelmed by the state of the world. I feel like I wake up on another Monday morning and I'm like, God bless. I, yeah. Can can we can we just have one stretch of days? I, I can't even ask for just one day. A, just a short stretch of days where nothing happens and nothing ridiculous is said, and no one is trying to minimize the rights of anyone else. Mm. Is that is that? It's it's obviously too much to ask, but I just yeah. I'm so over just the this um, this liberative black hole that I feel like we're in. There's just no there's just no end in sight, and it makes me so sad. 
So there's a lot happening in the world, as you and I both know, and this feeling like we are being sucked into this black hole of nothingness is part of the fight, right? So why, why don't we just start with our running list of the bullshit that we're dealing with? That list is long. I hope people are up for a really long podcast. <laughs> yes. It is, it is a, it's quite the list. Um, shall we start with um, the ridiculous comments made last week by two of our Supreme Court justices? Let's start there. Thomas and Alito. Yeah, let's start there. So um, most of you, if you are with the, the world from a United States standpoint, know that um, uh, two of our Supreme Court justices, uh, two of our very conservative um, Supreme Court justices, uh, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, um, indicated last week that um, they are looking forward to the possibility of having a court that is stacked from a conservative standpoint so that they can overturn the um, ruling that was made in 2015 around marriage rights, marriage equality for um, LGBTQ persons. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's just this ridiculous amount of hostility and un, a lack of education. I quite frankly think even though these two men are smarter, uh, book smarter than, than most, th this, this ugliness, this lack of empathy towards people, it, it, it's just, it's so baffling to me because in the grand scheme of things, the marriage of any number of our friends doesn't mean two shits to them. Right. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't, I know it doesn't keep them awake at night. Um, it's, it's not changing their capacity to be straight cisgender bigots in the world. I, I, I just, I don't know why they fucking care. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, when this pandemic hit, Aaron and I went to our attorney and got all of our paperwork in order because, you know, God forbid some one of us gets COVID and not be protected because we are not married legally. Right. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of protections that are given when folks are married. And that is why... Um, gay men uh, uh, first began fighting for the equal right to marriage because during the AIDS crisis, um, gay men were losing their partners, right? You know, by the handfuls, and there was no protection, there was no hospital visitation rights, um, just simple things, right? Correct. So, so what, what we're dealing with here is a social contract called marriage that affords people some 1,700 rights and privileges. That when you're not married, you you don't have. 
You don't have unless you seek out ways to have them through a different legal process, right? Like the kind of legal process that you and Aaron went through, right? To you know, to name one another as 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 having certain roles in your right. life and the decision on your care. But that costs money, and yeah. a lot of people don't have the money to to get these documents. And, and, you know, the way I work with an attorney is I send $250 every month to pay off my bill because I can't pay, you know, a $5,000 bill, you know, upfront. So, um, in order to use an attorney, folks have to have access to social capital, which we know that the middle class is really turning into the poor class. Yes. And that means that folks don't have access to social capital to pay for services like Aaron and I did, which is why we need things like marriage. Now, I'm a marriage abolitionist. I think we need to get rid of the whole thing because it's predicated on capitalism, except it does ensure the rights and privileges for things like hospital visitation and whatnot all for, you know, a $50 marriage certificate. Right. Yeah, it's a backward system. It's a yeah. backward system that affords, um, you know, my Mike and I, my my partner, my my husband, in it, it affords us rights that um, that you know you and Aaron don't have. Um, you could have, but it's backwards that it takes only a fifty dollar marriage license to right. get those rights when. Um, you you have to you have to jump through so many hoops to do it otherwise. Right. So that is that is a big thing that could take place if this new judge is appointed. And right. um, you know, I don't know if folks watch the vice presidential debate, but the thing that Mike Pence was really criticizing Kamala Harris about was whether or not she and Jill were going to stack the courts. But, you know, that's exactly what the GOP is doing. They are trying to stack the courts and they have been doing that, the lower courts all the way up to the Supreme court. Correct. So I have to ask the question, why is our moral imagination so cemented in this in a morality that hurts people. Yeah. And why is our moral imagination so centered on within the rule of law, mm-hmm. within the rule of um, of of those that that are that have the you know the capacity to make laws about us. I mean, right. it's, it, you know, it, this has been going on uh, since the beginning of time. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, lower class, peasant class, um, you know, even even the middle class in, you know, hearkening back to even, you know, the times of of the Hebrew Bible were subjected to legal authority by the ruling class that, you know, minimize their rights in a multitude of ways. Yeah. We, we have we have set up a, a system that asks us to obey a, a, a ruling a, the ruling class and and the laws that have been created to quote unquote you know c- keep us secure mm-hmm. 
when in fact they are predicated on supremacist culture, supremacy culture, and they are predicated on a value of whiteness or a value of whoever the ruling class is in in the scenario yep. over any other class structure. I mean, you know, I I am. Many of our listeners know this, and I have talked about this before. I was, you know, fired from the United Methodist Church in 2018 because I presided over a, a same gender wedding. And it's always baffled me that I was, you know, I am asked by the church to be an agent of the state, Mm-hmm. To be to be an agent of the law when I stand before someone and pronounce them um, partners, uh, legally bound in marriage partners. A- and yet it is because of a, a, a rule, a, an, an evangelical and fundamentalist understanding of the law within our scriptural text that I was let go from the church in the first place. So there's this conflicting understanding of what law means and how we apply it. And I I mean, we are, we are in a big, big hairball of shit. Mm -hmm. If, if this, if this nomination of Amy Coney Barrett goes through um, and I don't care what she says during her confirmation. I will never, ever believe that she will not bring her politics into or her religion into the politics of law. Right. I will never believe that she will leave those Handmaid's Tale style um, understandings of biblical teachings at the door. I, I just I, you can't convince me otherwise. I mean, I, you know, it's very scary to think that we that this is the time in which we are living. I, you know, I I have said it before. I, I never thought I would see the the depth of regressive politics as I am seeing now. And you know, I just I just saw something on Twitter about how a black man was paraded down a street um, by by a white police officer on a horse. Um, you know, similar to the times during slavery. And, you know, I, I feel very concerned that we're returning to practices yes, and we're, and we're returning to the kind of rule of law that will further suppress the underside and make it harder for people like myself to live. And frankly, people like you, I mean, this doesn't, this doesn't, Stacking the court in a conservative manner doesn't just impact LGBTQ people or people of color or differently abled people. It impacts cis white straight people, too. Right. I mean, it impacts me in in different ways. Um, You know, I mean, it will undoubtedly impact me from a a women's rights um, and and reproductive rights standpoint. Um, But I mean, God, that's a whole nother episode. I, I am, I am dumbfounded that we are living in these times. You know, it's Mm -hmm. interesting. I, I've been doing a lot of studying over the last several months um, on uh, other plagues and pandemics that have uh, struck the world um, over the history of time. Yeah. And it's remarkable the correlation between the way that, 
communities were set up and the attitudes that those communities had when they were hit with a pandemic. The, the similarities in uh, the 1300s in Europe and, and how there was an oppressive ruling class and an oppressive um, bout of law and order. And there was a, a, a an understanding that they were, that the lower class was procreating too much, that they weren't being fed well, that they weren't being um, cared for. The similarities on how the, how the black plague was able to permeate into that community or those communities in Europe is so similar to what happened to us this year in 2020 when COVID-19 struck. Right. All all of the signs were there. And lest we think that history doesn't repeat itself, um, you know, we have been giving and taking away rights for people from the beginning of this country's inception. Mm -hmm. We have been we have been dangling a carrot uh, of rights and we have been dangling a carrot of equity uh, to people that are not white male landowners for the entirety of 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 time here in the United States and and we are watching a continuation of every bit of this every single day we turn on the news and every time we read our twitter feeds right. it doesn't matter whether it's related to the rights of queer people or the rights of black and and indigenous people and and people of color or the rights of women or the rights of anyone that isn't a white straight landowner or in our case now uh you know one of the the 1% well, and and if I can just add in here, we are recording on October twelfth, which is Indigenous Persons Day, right? <laughs> which is historically celebrated as Indigenous Peoples Day, not Christopher Columbus Day, and we can, you know, every every day should be Indigenous Peoples Day because. It is because of them that we are here. Correct. And just just what you said, you know, your diatribe about creating a world that upholds land-owning white men is, is probably our greatest sin. Yes. And we don't talk enough about how this land is stolen. We don't talk enough about how women were raped to conquer this land. And when we look at the kinds of laws that are being passed, it is the same type of colonial empire conquering type system or method that is being run through this democracy and, and, People are just proud that they can, you know, go vote. And I'm like, you're missing the point. Yeah. You're missing the point. It's not enough. It it, it doesn't. In, I mean, yes. Do I want people to vote? Yes. Don't mishear us, listeners. Go do your civic duty and get these motherfuckers out of power. Please do that. 
but also recognize that, you know, we have been perpetuating genocide and perpetuating the, the, the pillaging and, and stealing of land, of rights, of you name it, for generations. And it's not enough to just vote. It's not enough to have that right. It, you, you have to reckon with the, the sin of racism mm-hmm. that has been a part of this country from its, from its beginning. And, and I don't care who you are or where you live or, or where you come from until we reckon with our, our understanding and, and our, and our, um, our, our willingness to see ourselves as wrong in every aspect of this. We are going to continue to perpetuate the exact same kind of activity in our courts, in our churches, in our homes, um, in our, in our small businesses, in our not for profits. Every single kind of, of, of thieving and, and anti-liberation politic that you are watching happen um, and that you have watched happen since, since Christopher Columbus didn't discover this land, um, it will happen again and will, will replicate itself in the way that you live everyday life. Well, and, you know, I think what gets me when I, when I hear you talk about this is how violent our culture is. And, and we are not even having that conversation about how violent things are. And, and I think that as I have been sitting, you know, since March 13th quarantine, I've had a lot of time to think, which has been great and also overwhelming at the same time. Right. I, I have seen with new eyes how violent our culture is and, you know, we don't realize that the rule of law that this administration is is advancing is actually harmful to cis white straight men too we don't realize that mm-hmm. we we think that it's you know we as a cultural body we think that it's just harming um the underside. Now, it disproportionately harms the underside, but it also harms your husband. It also harms our male friends, right? Because it requires men to perform and be a certain way and to embody a certain politic that is violent to themselves and to each other. And and I, I wonder when we're going to address the violence, the overwhelming violence, which has been the plumb line since yeah. the decimation of Native peoples. Yeah. Um, this is such a bright and shiny episode. I know. Aren't we, I'm sorry, aren't, we, y'all. aren't we so positive and, I'm sorry. and, and sunshiny and, <laughs> you know, vomiting rainbows and farting glitter? Uh, yeah, sorry, y'all. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunately, it's where Robin and I find ourselves today. We are, you know, we just feel like we're faced with so much, so, so much. And um, I don't, I, I know. What I, what I do know, I know that there is a goodness in the majority of people um, that, that has the capacity to overwhelm 
the violence and the the anger and the hatred that that we've talked about. I, I know deep in me that there that that exists. Um, I think oftentimes we are um, overwhelmed. We don't know where to start. We can't get our head around an issue so as to make sure that goodness is and goodness and love and truth telling are the things we lead with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't know what it's going to take for us to recognize that the way that we have always done it is no longer a sustainable model for the way that it must be done in order for equity to be a guiding force for us. I, I don't know yeah. what it's going to take and I don't and I don't want that to sound hopeless, but I'm I'm struggling to I, I'm just struggling to imagine it um, unless we tear it down and build it back from scratch. Well, I've always said that I don't have hope in our current system, but I am a person of deep hope that we can imagine a different world. And even the question that um, our comrades and I have been tossing around at the Activist Theology Project, what does it mean to be a citizen of conscience while living in an empire? You know, that question, we need to be, everyone needs to be asking that question. Yes. This isn't just about red and blue. I don't believe in the red and blue system. I don't believe in being a Republican or Democrat. The, the GOP, the Republicans have no moral compass, but the Democrats are also not innocent. We have to remember Correct. this. Correct. So can we imagine a political future that undermines undermines this coin, two sides of this same coin, and imagines a political process of equity and liberation? This is why I talk about voting for possibility, voting for liberation, voting for equity. You know, if we think that voting for the right or the left, there's there. I mean, there is a true right here. I don't know that there's a true left here, um, but voting for red or blue. If we think that that is voting for our liberation, we we will be sorely surprised to know that both sides embody violence yeah. and embody. Um, a kind of orientation that is death bringing to the least of these. Yes. And I just was on Twitter a couple nights ago while I was on retreat and John Pavlovitz tweeted that um, he doesn't think that this is choosing the better of two evils. And I tweeted back and I said, I plan to vote for Biden Harris But I do think that Biden is the better of two evils. And he tweeted back and was like, there's nothing in me that thinks that Biden is evil. And I tweeted back and said, but his policies will harm me. Correct. And it was so interesting to, you know, John was like, well, what policies specifically? And I was like, economy, healthcare, and climate. And... And he just was like, not, not seeing it. Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many people who don't see clearly, who think that Biden-Harris is the, the fullest potential. But we know that they're, they don't sign on to the Green New Deal. Um, they don't cap drug prices. 
And so, so there are these policies that are in place that are still very, very harmful. And until we decide to care for the whole of society Mm -hmm. in really robust ways, there should not be any food pantries in this country. There's plenty. Correct. People should not be on food stamps. There should be a universal basic income that that folks have enough. We live in one of the richest countries in this world. And yet we are occupied by a rule of law that is advancing violence and black genocide in such a way that it will decimate this democracy. Right. And let's not think for a second that any other candidate op- options would have been better. I mean, look, I I right. know that right. I know that there's a whole bunch of you out there who, you know, might tweet at me for the comment I'm about to make, but just because if it was Bernie, we still wouldn't be getting ourselves out of this mess. We still wouldn't be attain- achieving the, the things, the possibility that is necessary for us to break down these systems of oppression. Um, you know, Bernie, Bernie may have, um, there may be pieces of his policy that um, work better for many of us and many of you. But let's, I mean, let's not forget, you know, Bernie's still a straight white dude who's in his 70s. Um, who, yes, is working um, in, in, a, in a better way towards a liberative politic, but he, he, would not, he would not be getting us to this point of a reimagined um, politic um, any faster, likely, than, than Biden or Yang or Warren or any other person that was that stood on that stage during the Democratic primary to try to win your to try to win your vote. Well, frankly, and we've talked about this on the sit up podcast together, where we're going to see political futures and political change is in the down ballot races. Yes, because if we can get if we can send lawmakers to D.C. that are. Um, committed to equity and liberation. Yeah. So Arkita Bradshaw, for example, here in Tennessee, if we can vote for lawmakers to get to D.C., then that is how we can begin to change our political future. It's right. not just the White House that matters. Correct. It's it's Congress and it's your state and it's your state legislation. Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting. We were talking a few moments ago about Amy Coney Barrett. And, you know, one of the things that we have to remember about her is that although she will state in front of the um, committee that she is, you know, she intends to, you know, rule by the law, not by her, her religion um, or her or the way her faith guides her. She has gone on record saying that she believes that it should be the states 
that take a look at reproductive rights, that that it should not be the Supreme Court, it should not be a law of the land for um, abortion rights and for right. equal, equal um, rights for women's reproductive health, that it should come back to the states and the states should decide. Well, I'm going to I'm going to remind every one of you that especially every one of you that is in a red state if you don't find a way to make your state house, to make your state legislature um, one that has the possibility of equity for you, if for some reason Roe gets overturned in the Supreme Court and it finds its way back to your legislature, I mean, we're I'm just as screwed if Roe gets overturned from a federal standpoint, as I am if it goes back to the Tennessee legislature, because they are in no way going to uphold um, my reproductive freedom um, in 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 the Tennessee State House. It's right. just not going to happen. So this is where your voice is important, friends. This is where it is as important that you are paying attention to the other names on that ballot. Do not walk in and say, okay, yeah, I've heard of Biden. I'm going to vote for him or I'm going to write in somebody else. And I've heard of my Senate candidate, so I'm going to vote for that person. Um, but I don't know who these other people are. Please, 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 please do your research. Walk into your poll or walk or sit at your at your dining room table when you're filling out your mail in ballot with a cheat sheet in front of you that helps you understand who these candidates are and how they will influence the policy that is going to most affect you. Yeah. Make sure that you are voting all the way down the ballot that you know who is running for your city council, that you know who is running for your sheriff's seat, that you know who is running for your mayoral sheets. Um, seat that you know who is running for your state legislature know who they are yes. commit those names to memory do not get caught empty-handed by walking into a voting booth and not having what you need to make the decision that can change the course of your ability to have equal protection man God, I, I need to kick this soapbox out from under me. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I, I just, I'm so fired up today, friends. I'm just, I can't, I can't implore you enough to pay attention to this shit. I just can't. Well, we, I mean, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about living in, well, I live in a blue city. Is Chattanooga a blue city? Uh, most of the time. <laughs> So living in blue cities, but in a red state and I, you know, we really stressed, you know, the local races. And this is what I mean about stewarding a different culture. It starts with school board members. It starts with city council. Yes. You know, we, we've got to steward a different culture and we've got to get people in places that can, that can compost the bullshit. Yes. That's a t-shirt I'm trying to get to. I know. I know. We're, we're going to do it. Uh, yeah. Make no mistake. I mean, the politics that affect you, friends, are as important on a local level as they are on a national level. And your televisions are full of anti-Trump and anti-Biden advertisements. Your, you know, Twitter feeds, your social media feeds, um, everything you watch is going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do as it relates to presidential politics 
and congregate and uh, congressional politics. But I, I, you need to pay attention. You need to mm-hmm. know what you're doing when you walk into that voting box. Yeah. Um, and, and you need to make sure that you're going to your voting box. Don't sit out, have a plan, figure it out. If you can't get there, ask someone to take you. Um, it's, it's, we, we keep, we keep using words like this is the most important election of our lives, but I feel more fearful for my friends today than I ever have at the onset of any other election I've ever taken part of. Yeah. And, and when I, as a cis straight privileged white woman says that, um, it, it scares me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to do, quite honestly. Yeah. Just remember that it doesn't stop um, after you cast your ballot in November. Um, Politics don't stop. Elections don't stop. Your ability to campaign and to lobby and to be a thorn in the side of the legislatures in your city um, it doesn't stop just because um, either your vote, the vote goes your way or it doesn't go your way. Um, it is as important that you are loud and tweeting at people on um, November 5th as it is that you are, you know, doing your your duty um, in the polls before that. You you cannot stop. Um, and, and that, and I think that is, that is what we will do, Robin, that that's what we'll do. We will continue to be a thorn in the side and a, a, you know, a clanging symbol to every single person who has the capacity to lure power over us until we either have people with the capacity to lure power over us who listen to us fully or until we are the people who are helping make the policy so that we don't have to worry about, you know, convincing anybody else that we're worthy of it. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I I want us to think very seriously about how what we're stewarding right now in our politics and our policies and our political futures is the Christian hegemony of nationalism. Yes. And we have to remember that Jesus was crucified for his economics. And and his economics was the economy of God. All all are are contained in the economy of God. And our and our economics is death bringing. The economics of of this late capitalism, it's death bringing to so many people. And so we are either going to be crucified by capitalism or we're going to be crucified for living the economy of God. And I know that being in partnership with crucified people is the better way because it's, it's a, it's a way of freedom and liberation and I'm not trying to, to be weird when I say that, but when I think about the crucified people, I think about those are the people who are being lifted up now in the midst of 
such violence. And we need to remember the, the, the moral imagination, the political imagination for which we aspire. Are, do we aspire to, to have an imagination that is death bringing? Or do we aspire to have an imagination that is full of utopian hope? I hope the latter. Yes. But it, it demands something of us. Yes. There's a cost to this. There is. There's a cost and there and it and it it calls us to um, it calls us to put our money and our bodies and our um, and our ethics where our mouth is. Yeah, um, because we have to be engaged in all ways. You know, one of my favorite um, one of my favorite Hebrew um, authors is Walter Brueggemann. And mm-hmm. I know, you know you know Walter or know of him and and many of yeah. you out there have heard of Walter um, but he wrote a paper a few years ago about the economy and the economy of Jesus and um, this is this is one of my favorite quotes and I I love it so much that I know it by heart which is why I, I can recite it um, but Brueggemann says the profane is the opposite of the sacramental so think about that. The profane is the op- opposite of the sacramental. Profane, meaning flat or empty, one-dimensional, exhausted. Market ideology wants us to believe that the world is profane, that life consists of buying and selling, weighing and measuring and trading, and then finally sinking down into death and nothingness. But Jesus or substitute in, friends, any other kind of element of goodness and possibility, presents an entirely different kind of economy, one that is infused with the mystery of abundance and a cruciform kind of generosity. Jesus transforms the economy by blessing it and breaking it beyond its self-interest, And the closer that we say to Jesus or goodness or hope or possibility, the more we will bring a new economy of abundance to the world. I love it. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite quote. Um, uh, uh, And and those of you that have heard me talk, hear me talk about this piece from Brueggemann a lot, but there's just, there's something about this, this imagination of a different kind of economy um, that uses abundance and generosity and possibility and is and is beyond self-interest as the means by which we can transform um, the world and if 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 you guys do nothing else today but to go out and figure out what, that kind of abundance and generosity um, looks like in your current setting, within your family, within your community, um, that'll be the best way you can get your hands dirty this week, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And the work continues. It does. And we're here for it. We know you're here for it. Um, Friends, don't forget that um, Robin and I underwrite this podcast um, out of our own pocket. Um, it's, we, we do this because we value this work and we do it because, um, we believe that in some small way, the voices that we share with you can help, 
um, propel your voice into the world in a, in a more meaningful way. Um, if you're willing to help us, we would be grateful for your help. Um, that can be in the form of affirmation and um, letting us know that you're enjoying it by tweeting at us at Activist Theology. Or it could be in a monetary way by helping to fund this podcast. You can do that by going to kindful, K-I-N-D-F-U-L, dot activisttheology.com. Don't forget that activist and theology share a T. When you get to Kindful, you'll see that there's a couple of different ways that you can help. And one of the drop down tabs is for the podcast. If you are willing to help underwrite us, even if it's just for a small donation of $5 a month, it makes a big difference to us. And it can really help us do some amazing things. Um, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the way you get your hands dirty in the world. And we'll um, see you next week. Next week it is. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, Activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. <laughs>